Hello and welcome to the Daft Souls podcast. This week is a special week in the fact that I'm joined by Mr. Quentin Smith. Hello! Are you calling me special? That's not what's special. I thought you were going to say it's special because we're reporting live from Los Angeles. We are indeed. For the E3 Daft Souls special. We're not. We're in South London. And all the happier for it. It means I can eat salads and uh, meals which don't largely contain... Meat. The full extent of my discomfort has been staying up till two in the morning to watch the Sony presser, which is weird because I do that every year now. You're always up at two in the morning to watch Sony, and then that gives all of their presentations this air of kind of it's like like kind of like a dream, <laughs> which was extra weird because of course Media Molecule announced dreams, and you're watching it, and it's kind of soporific, and you're half full asleep. And and I mean also when I woke up the next morning because I went to bed about eleven because I am a snoozy bastard. <laughs> um, I felt like it was still a dream anyway because it was just it's been such a weird year. It's been so strange. Um, I mean on on the whole, really nice though. Um, yeah, the lovely. whole after. You know, after Gamergate, uh, obviously, just let's get the boring stuff out of the way first. Because, yeah, know, inclusivity, pff, boring. But, you know, Sony had, um, uh, at the very beginning of Sony's uh, presentation, they were like, they, they used that Because, obviously, they're not going to come out in favor of, like, you know, sort of like feminism or something. But the language was about as far as they could go. They said, yeah. we want gaming to be for everybody. We want inclusivity. And then, you know, obviously, all it's the... It's these really difficult things because it's become much more about a big whiz-bang show pal for consumers now. And it's become much more about um, letting these big brands talk directly to the people who are going to buy their stuff. But E3 is still something which is very much about investors and very much about, you know share prices and stuff it's it's always that's what it used to be about it used to be about like you know what are these companies doing what what their kind of projections for next year so they can't go too heavy on that stuff yeah it's so strange you know it's like is the show for the investors because the thing is well like it is for it is for investors and for players now but the problem is if they started talking about stuff like that investors just wouldn't have a clue what was going on well this is why the Square Enix presentation was so weird yeah, I, I mean, mean no one knew what was going on in that it was just sort of like the CEO talking very candidly as if everyone in the room owned Square Enix <laughs> rather than being like hey you love us Good I night. thought it was really brave of them to open up the Square Enix conference uh, by having two men in shirts talking for 18 hours <laughs> um, I know I know I think they were like filibustering I they... think some people might have switched off a little bit during that. I, I admit I haven't actually finished watching that conference yet. So you missed the uh, the beautiful reveal that their new uh, division to produce JRPGs is called JRPG Factory, which was the most unfortunate <laughs> naming. I'm pretty of sure anything. I'm pretty sure that kind of mentality was how Square Enix got into a, a, such a mess in the first place. I mean, right? it seems incredibly not self-aware, but then the whole presentation seemed not self-aware. No, I mean the fact that there, there's near two. Is going to be a game. You <laughs> do well. I, I, there's a small subset of the um, hipster. I, I, hipster. I don't even believe in hipster as a word in general. But there's it hipster has people. Uses. I thought. Yeah, yeah. Some games critics who I follow were very excited about near two. Absolutely. And I think it was quite telling though that the entire internet, when a man came out dressed like what appeared to be a man with a moon face. Yeah. Nobody knew what was going on, and that's because apparently that's a character from Nier, which <laughs> nobody but has played. He just came out looking like a murderer from Hotline Miami, and you don't know why. I, I, I kind of, I kind of thought it was like similar thing of sometimes if people aren't sure about projects, they don't want their name on it. But he'd taken that to a brand new level. Like, <laughs> I'm really not sure about this yet, so no one's seeing my face. That is, that's pretty good. I, I, oh God, where do, where do we even start? Because well, I mean, it's a difficult. One. You know what? I do have something I want to start describing initially because I think if you asked a lot of people online, and I, I sound like an, like a, one of the dudes at the IGN desk going, "Well, what, that was a strong showing from Micro." 
Um, but the uh, <laughs> they do tend to do that a lot. They do. They just throw up on each other. Like, What's going on? Uh, that's actually honestly what I hear sometimes when I see um, people behind a desk discussing games companies as if this is the weird thing because they discuss it like they're they discuss it as fans and for fans, but acting as if they're business analysts, which is a really weird com- combination yeah, for me. It is. It is a strange because often the thing with this um, kind of enthusiastic press angle is that the only real connection that they have with the business side of things is often due to sponsorship uh, so it's kind of a very strange situation it's good though I mean in some regards it's good because it's very positive but I find it's a difficult way difficult one to to manage at this time of year because I feel very much now like I'm a, a twig floating in a stream and both sides are awful you've either got <laughs> unbelievably cheery shills saying wow everything's amazing yeah. or people just being so preemptively cynical about absolutely everything that it just makes me want to crawl into a hole and cry. Oh, it's so weird. I was watching it with my girlfriend and uh, the the bizarre... Because we're both inherently cynics and deeply passionate because obviously we've been both in the game industry for like 10 years, so that's what happens that's to what you. Happens, yeah. yeah, so we, when the, the Last Guardian came out and Sony's thing... It was, um, it, both of us were like, it can't be. It can't. Oh my God, it is. And then also immediately switched into, well, oh, this isn't going to be very good, but it is coming out. But it's, it's but he left, it's going to be bad. It's never going to come out. It won't come out. It won't, it's, look, I hope it comes out. And it's, just it's you're just weird. torn and you don't want to be on either side. No, and I think the, the thing I noticed particularly about this year that made it very hard to, to maintain any sense of sanity was the fact that, th- and this isn't a new thing, but for this year, it's for us, and I think this is something that's kind of... It's actually terrifying when you look at it like this. Because I am... I was 30 years old this year. Mm-hmm. You're a bit younger than me, aren't you? I'm 28. Oh, you younger whippy snapper. <laughs> Stop snapping my I whippies. Would, I, honestly, I'd like your clothes when you die. Okay, that's fine. Um, they won't be cool by then. But you can have them. <laughs> unless I die soon. In which case, they'll only be about 10 years. Let's just wrap this, up, this, wrap this podcast up, okay? Okay. No. <laughs> no, but the problem is, right... There's a very cynical marketing technique, which has been going on for a long, long time. It's this thing of kids like things, and then when those kids are 30, you bring all of those things back, and they buy them again more, and they try and get their kids to like them. And there's a degree of success in getting their kids to like them, (laughs) and then the cycle sort of continues. But more than ever, I kind of feel like I always come into E3 looking at it going, well, you know, it is exciting to see what's coming on. It's exciting to have this barrage of new things that are going to be happening. And I do like that. But it's important to also remember that it is a marketing exercise. And often you have to temper this because you know that many things you're getting excited about now, in eight months' time, their reality will roll around and they won't be nearly as exciting as they originally yeah, looked. Yeah, I want to discuss this magic trick you're describing. But this magic trick is mental because... Nostalgia has like squarely aimed itself at my head and many other heads. Oh, me too. No, this is exactly it. I want to discuss the magic trick, even though like it works on us. I want to try and like, you know, you see a magician pull a card out of his anus and it's like, well, how did he do that? I'm still taken in, but I want to know why. And uh, yeah, so Sony being the obvious place to start because the big things they announced, and this was a big difference from Microsoft, the things that made everyone go, oh, well, Sony won E3. None of those games, we didn't see gameplay footage of Shenmue 3 or Final Fantasy 7 or, um, or I mean, we saw The Last Guardian, but it certainly looked super shonky and like, uh, well, not shonky, but it looked like it they, It was a PlayStation so 3 Shenmue game. So Shenmue 3 is even, they haven't no, done anything on that. No, the Kickstarter just kicked off and yet people are calling that a success story. We don't know if this game's going to be good. We don't know if it will even come out. We Like, we can be sure Final Fantasy 7 is going to come out. 
are you really going to replay Final Fantasy VII, you know, when you get to, like, Fort Condor and stuff? That's what I'm trying to think about, because the problem with Final Fantasy VII is whenever these things have happened, because over years we've had people, like, faking it, or, no, we haven't had people faking it, actually. We've had Square Enix, for no apparent reason, going, oh, look, we've made Midgar in modern technology. Are we making the game? No, we just want to do that because we know you love that Midgar bit. Yeah. Or people always forget Final Fantasy VII is a very long game, and the Midgar bit, the big dark industrial gritty, it's just a tiny bit of it. Before long, you're in the fucking Spain. It is interesting, isn't it? And, and then again, look at the Final Fantasy VII trailer. They chose to announce uh, this year's Final Fantasy VII trailer, the one that just came out. They announced with all scenes from the opening yeah. <laughs> two hours of Final Fantasy VII, which made such an impact on us, all of us, well, or those of us who played at the time. You know, are we going to buy this? Are we really going to play it for 80 hours? Are we going to take on the Emerald Weapon again? Think no. about the visuals and the, the way that the broad strokes of the way the game looked got away with so much. Like, for example, Red 13, the dog that you find. You kind of imagine him being like kind of a ferocious red dog. or oh, he's nasty. But then you go and meet his dad, who's a bloody man with a beard floating with a marble up his bum, <laughs> who lives in an observatory. Yeah. And suddenly your image of Red 13 changes a bit, and you kind of imagine him being slightly more of a cartoony dog, because he comes from this weird cartoony canyon land. How, the f- how are they going to do this? Like, it's such a, And I love it, but it's such a weird and disjointed game. Like, you know, the girl you fancy dies, and then you go snowboarding. It's just... It's <laughs> I mean, also, let's look at the JRPGs that have come out recently and point out that all of them, from, like, Nino Kuni to, um, I don't know, Final Fantasy XII, was that the MMOE one? Like, or eleven maybe? Like, the these are all games that have done anything they can... Oh, Bravely Default, lets you fast-forward through combat. Yeah. Final Fantasy VII Remake probably won't do that. Are we going to be able to put up with the random battles? Probably, probably not. Who knows? I mean, if they hopefully they'll do a speed up thing. I mean, not, well, this is taking us away from uh, even the original yeah. thing. The original, yeah. uh, w- what we're discussing here isn't whether the FF7 remake is going to be good. It's that Sony managed to quote win E3 by making loose promises about games that don't exist yet. <laughs> but even then, you look at Microsoft's conference and it isn't that dissimilar. You've got a massive cheer for backwards compatibility, which frankly is something like the fact they didn't put that in in the first place was just stupid. Like that's mm. one of the few things. That Microsoft did with the Xbox One, I was like, what have you done? Like, everyone's got a massive collection of XBLA games. The fact they just stopped XBLA, that was bonkers. So, anyway, yeah, they fixed that. That's great. But then, even so, they're still riding on the coattails of Halo, Gears of War. Like, it's it's not like straight up remakes, but it's still very much like nostalgia. But the, de- the yeah, this is the depressing thing that the. You know, we, you and I can see, and we want new IPs, we want new ideas, but it's just not happening. When you know cheers what? from E three go to the biggest things that we've already played. I think the thing is though that the, the the only difference between the Microsoft conference and the Sony conference is slightly different loops, right? I think that Sony's marketing has been completely for people who bought the PS one and people who bought the PS two, right? Mm-hmm. PS3 for them is just a mistake. They're just writing it off, forget about it, whatever. So that's us, that's our generation. And they have doubled down on 30-somethings, whereas the Xbox brand really came to life with the Xbox 360, with Gears of War and with Halo. That is true, which is why I was impressed um, that... Well, a couple of things that Sony managed to just sort of nick out from under the 360. The, The Sony generation was the one that... They'd clearly played to have an exclusive of Call of Duty in their presentation. Also, isn't I, I, no one seems to be making a big deal out of this, but Street Fighter V was announced as a PC, PS4 yeah. exclusive. I mean, those are two coups that I wasn't expecting. No. Oh, God, I sound like a dude behind a desk with a tie and like a, 
like a blazer over a t-shirt. <laughs> no, that's true, Sandy. I wasn't expecting that coup either. Oh, shit, me. Okay, no, let's talk about... Can we talk about Yanni? I want I want you to talk about the thing you were telling me before the podcast. All right, Yanni's fascinating, right? Well, it's just the thing of developers actually having... Talking about feelings and or death. Well, that's the same thing that it comes back to earlier with the whole thing about it being a show for investors and they need to kind of get on side with that. But I think what they've realised in the past few years is that actually these little emotional games that actually have a point, they actually they can do really well. Mm-hmm. And it isn't just like, you know, big beefy gunman. There's value to these that is beyond artistic value. They actually can commercially do really well as well. So what was lovely is the fact that when we had this man, this incredibly sincere shaking man coming out talking about how he made this yarn toy and played with it in the woods with his family, it was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> in the best possible way. The fact that this yeah. was an Xbox conference, it's like, uh, was, or was it EA? No, no it, was, it was EA, I think. It was EA, even more. like It, it was like... Completely moving away from EA's brand of just like explosions and fist bumps and sharp suits to suddenly having a very unsure man. I yeah, mean, that that makes me so happy about the games industry that in Sony's presser you've got Steve Gaynor from the Fulbright Company. Um, yeah, you know, coming on to show Tacoma, like the sequel to Gone. Well, I think sequ- that was in the Xbox conference actually. But oh yeah. yeah, no, was it? Yeah, I think yeah, you're right, you're right. But yeah, it's a spiritual sequel to Gone Home on stage at E3, which is like yes, thank That's God, huge. The games industry moving in. Very slowly, this oil tanker is rotating to face a, a more accessible direction. Because you know what? We can have Call of Duty, we can have Street Fighter, you can have, both. You can have both, and you can also have Tacoma looking rad as hell. Holy shit, the that bit where he awesome. inputs a password by sign language. Yeah, yeah. She, rather. But yeah, that that's that, that made me excited. It's it's looking very cool. But yeah, no, the Yanni thing was amazing, because you, you see that a lot in... Uh, the Nintendo presentations a lot at the moment, um, especially that it seems to be a much more Japanese development thing, and maybe because a lot of the classic Japanese IPs, which don't change very much or move very much over time, were originally made by just a handful of people. So you can just have one old Japanese dude talking about, you know, you can have Shigeru talking about, oh yeah, you know, I I live next to a fox statue and I love the fox. And oh, that, that was actually that was my favourite bit. Precisely, but I love that stuff because it's really touching. The description of how um, it's, it's not just that it's. Uh, there's a fox in it because he lived because the fox is the mythical creature that lives in the shrine. But also that the the arcs and the things you're constantly flying through in Star Fox yeah. are the uh, gates that you get in Japanese temples. That was just like mind blown. Yeah, it's lovely, and I really like the fact that they actually make the time to have um, have you know their leads and stuff telling these little human stories where it's not news. And actually, I found it one of the saddest things for me of E3 this year was looking at. Um, the YouTube video of Nintendo's big and like kind of press thing this year, and seeing like the unbelievable tsunami of negativity about it, and everyone saying this was shit, this was awful. And I was like, it was really nice, and yeah, all right, they don't have much on the horizon coming out next, but that's because they're clearly focusing on the next thing, which is the only bloody thing they can do. Did like, you see the uh, the petition that had been put together for people wanting let, to? I haven't, but let me guess what they want. Okay, go on. Do they want? Do they want Nintendo to miraculously? scrap all of the Animal Crossing games and make a new Zelda now. No, it's close. They want uh, Nintendo to shit-can the new Metroid, which has the um, uh, cartoony... I forget what it's called. There's a Metroid game in development, and then Nintendo sounds like, oh, Metroid, and then it was a Metroid game clearly aimed at kids with a... That's another loop. And I think the thing about E3 now is the more E3s that happen, I just see the patterns. I'm becoming like Donkey from... uh, (laughs) Donkey? (laughs) Donkey from... from, Not Winnie Kong? I don't... (laughs) From uh, Animal Farm. Yeah, just the whole, like, oh, oh, I don't know, yeah. the fact that it's like, I remember thinking, every time I see this, I just go, yeah, you know, I was a kid who got annoyed about how Nintendo was 
too childish, but then not realising that the reason I loved Nintendo was because I was a child. <laughs> and then I became an adult, and now I look at Nintendo and it's still childish, but now I embrace that, yeah. rather than being like, oh, why won't they make a serious Zelda game? Or a serious Metroid? And it is just an age thing, and it's funny that all these kids getting angry about the childlike Metroid game now, which just looks like a bit of silly throwaway fun. I've got no problem with it. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm not. Whatever. I'm not shouting on a plinth about. Is it canon? Is this canon? <laughs> Am I seriously expanding? It's it's just a fun spin-off. They're allowed. Um, but these guys will grow up, and in ten years' time, they'll be looking at it, and they'll be like, "Oh, guys, it's fine. Everything's fine." I mean, yeah. I, I tell you what, though. You know, the the people who don't give a presentation, or the people that can't, the platform that can't give a presentation is, um, you know, like the PC. Talking into Steam, really. I still haven't actually managed to see the PC gaming show. Oh, neither have I. Because that went out at 2am this morning. Okay, well, I'm guessing that that's run by PC Gamer, right? Yes, So, but I'm, I, I guess I'm talking more like the equivalent of a Sony or Microsoft for the PC. Yeah, because there's no one vision for the yeah, platform. Yeah, but I tell you what, if it did, I think, you know, that might be where the most startling revelations would be. I mean, I guess, the, I mean, the PC is doing so well. It's doing so well, and no one really has a good reason to buy a PS4 or an Xbox One yet. You know, it's... No, yeah. The, the, the PC's stunning, and what we're, like, not seeing... We're seeing, um, we're seeing Sony and Microsoft talk about, like, Sony's talking about betas. Betas? Betas? I still can't pronounce that word. I think it is beta. beta. I think beta is what Americans say. You know how long I've been in this industry and I still have one other. So uh, Sony has, you know, Nazi betas. And then you've got early access on the Xbox One, which is insane, by yeah. the way. Early access games coming to Xbox One. And mods in Fallout 4. Mods and MOBAs, like, being announced. And all this stuff is coming out of the PC. You know, the PC is where But this stuff at. with the Xbox doesn't surprise me at all. Because, oh, mods, of course, yeah. Because the whole reason that uh, Microsoft actually funded the Xbox in the original first place the whole reason that they went all right yeah and they, they let them go off and do their own thing to make the xbox was because microsoft at that time had the vision to realize that um that having people owning the computer and owning like that as a space the family computer was one thing but they wanted to be in the living room they wanted to, to move the computer into the living room mm-hmm. and that was what the xbox was and so to me now the fact that xbox one is coming out with all these things where it's increasingly having pc style features doesn't surprise me at all because that's been there entire vision for the brand the whole time I mean the, the uh, can you imagine like sorry I'm, I'm having trouble pronouncing this because of my pure like aghastness at how the Xbox <laughs> One would perform if the Steam Box was out or when it comes out like the Steam Box is all Microsoft needs to get you know Windows or Microsoft devices into the living room yeah like I, I, I just play everything on Steam now. Everything, you know. It's, 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 and sometimes I regret it. I kind of wish I had The Witcher Four, Witcher Three on PS4 rather than on PC. But you know, this week it's just been Darkest Dungeon for me, like all week. Yeah. I, I, I find I just get consoles briefly, get excited, and then just put them down. Like they're really good for some, for some things. But uh, I think, and I also think that my, my relationship between PCs and consoles is a little bit. Um, Unrealistic. I don't feel like I can really, um, because of the way I use systems, I don't feel like I can have a good understanding of of how normal people use them. Mm. And the fact that ideally I'd love to have my PlayStation 4 in the other room, in the front room on the telly, but I need to capture, so it needs to stay next to my computer. So really the difference to me is negligible. But you're right, as soon as we can get to the point where we can just have a little system with a nice UI in your front room, and it's exactly like a console but not a console, <laughs> then yeah, you're laughing. I mean, unless something really changes with the way that the pricing system works on PC, i.e. you can get games for like pennies um, if you wait for the right time, yeah. Um, then yeah. But I mean, yeah, just a, just a crazy, lovely E3 and so much of the machismo 
Is that the right way of saying it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just not there. I mean, I, again, I did feel like it is, you know, for some people, you know, a bit tedious and irrelevant, but I did, I was really impressed by how many of the, um, the conferences I've seen so far had made more of an effort and just, 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 simple, just simple as actually like, you know, being like, oh, actually, have we got some some leads on the team who are female who we can get to do the presentation? Yeah, there was a point on the, uh, I'm sure Ubisoft would have been pleased with this, but they had a, a woman of colour passing the mic to another woman of colour to continue the presentation. Yeah, it passed the Bechdel test, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Which yeah. Which is amazing. <laughs> uh, but no, I just think it's one of those things where like, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, what is what difference is it making? It's like, you know what, it doesn't actually make a massive difference, and that's why it's great that people do it, because it doesn't make a difference. Um, I just feel like, as well, like it's really cool to see things actually happening, because I think that last year was such a weird zone for, for the consoles of being like, oh, well, they're out, but games are a long way off, and they just felt like they were treading water and showing things that were a long way off and they still are <laughs> we just did discuss the first I mean I know but there is a lot of stuff coming out soon as well a lot of surprises you know you've got stuff like Fallout 4 out this year you've got um, you've got a lot of stuff coming out Persona 5 as well Final Fantasy 15 yeah no there's there's there's, re- there's better reasons Battle to buy front, I think now. as well oh man I want to talk about because I had one idea about Star Wars Battlefront that I do want to discuss with you so that, well, now we enter yeah. Quinz's Battlefront Battlefront Saga. No, I've continued to do my joke about singing it in the E.T. theme tune. Uh, I think I'll just do that for the rest of my life now. Star Go Wars, ahead. everyone likes Star Wars. Yeah, I love that. Uh, so, yeah, so you're running around and obviously, like, Star Wars Battlefront looks insane. Like, you know, huge fields, just lovingly created um, Battlefront. If you haven't seen it, you know, you're just a rebel trooper and... You're in an action sequence in Star Wars. It's, I mean, it's without a doubt the most stunning piece of marketing material I have seen in years. Yeah. It, I don't even like Star Wars that Neither much. Neither do I, but and seeing it, TIE Fighters soar part, like, really low through the atmosphere and stuff. like it blew the lid off my tits. I mean, I've never actually successfully enjoyed a Battlefield game. Like, it, I'm probably not going to buy this one. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like EVE Online for me. You know, just because the Battlefield games, because of how they're structured are great fun when you're winning and not so great when you're losing. And that is something that the multiplayer games I choose to spend time with tend to avoid. Like Destiny, for an example, if I'm losing a match of Destiny, I'm still able to... You see, to... I've never played a... Ba- I've played lots of Battlefield games, but I've never played a Battlefront game. And they are different. And I'm interested to see how. Because it looked, it did play and look like Battlefield, but I wonder how much of it will be like Battlefront rather than... I don't know. They are different. <laughs> are they? I think I, they are a bit different. But I'm guessing because it's made by DICE, it will be quite battlefieldy. Well, we'll see. Anyway, my point is um, that I was looking at all this, and you know the one thing that doesn't look Star Wars enough is all the explosions, all the sparks, lightsabers, right? They all the, look too good. Because it because it's like, well, we can actually do a laser gun explosion. Let's make a laser gun explosion. I was watching Battlefront and thinking, my God, the only thing missing from this being a good recreation of the films are all the effects looking a bit shit. Yeah. And how good would that be, man? If, like, you shoot a stormtrooper and a tiny little bit of flame appears, like, you know those rubbish Star Wars effects and then yeah. sparks? If all the smoke clearly looks like dry ice. You know, this is this is the fidelity barrier we're crossing. I know what you mean, but at the same time, I think as well, like, Star Wars in particular has been one of those things that's had very much a feature slide over the years in terms of that it's been gradually updated. The films have been gradually remastered so many times that... You kind of. I was watching uh, Return of the Jedi last week, and it took me so I was half of the film to go, "Oh yeah, this isn't the original. This has got like these yeah. bits couldn't have been done at that time." But you you lose track because you remember it in your head as looking good. And so I think <laughs> what I liked about that was that I kind of go, "Yeah, this is like 
when you see these things exploding, it looks really good. I mean, this but is... in my head, that's how it always looks. Okay, but some stuff actually, you know, you could argue looks maybe better in the eighties. Like I don't know, the, an equivalent would be um would be Yoda, right? Or like uh, some kind of alien that was clearly had a had a puppet kind of face. Yeah, I agree with the dudes with the huge black eyes that are in the cockpit with Lando Calrissian at the end of uh, the, the third film. You know, um, if those facial effects, rather than making okay, let's make an alien like in the Mass Effect stuff. What if it just looked like a rubber mask? <laughs> what if the, the eyelids close and make a tiny click noise when you they know, do? I'd like that just because when I was watching Return of the Jedi the other week, I realised how sad I was that the existence in the in the universe of Star Wars of uh, full-on Muppet Yoda is such a brief moment when he first meets him. He's just, <laughs> this little character goes around going, yeah. like rummaging through his boxes and going, and just being this complete comedy character. Hitting R2-D2 with He's, a stick. Yeah, you know. like, and it's so funny. It's brilliant. <laughs> but then every time you ever see him in anything after that, he's always like the sage, like, mm, like, oh, this is very serious. The force is strong. Fuck off. Get in a box. Hit something with a stick. There you go. Um, so hopefully I'll see that in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Just be like a tiny puppet walking around annoying people. Well, we've got that in uh, like some Nintendo games, you know, the, the co-op things where it's like, you play the level, you know, son, and I'll be the little star that flies around you, you know, picking up coins. I can't just, remember what I, my I, I, that was. When I was watching all a the Battlefront game stuff. where I can just be a dude with a flute, you know, just <laughs> running around trying to play the cantina theme. But the Battlefront th- thing for me was was very much the peak of like that kind of uh, the duality of E3 of me watching it and just I think the sound design as well, the sounds just and the music. Oh, it's nuts! It was and Dice is yeah. More. It was wonderful beautiful just this little sequence it was so exciting to watch but then at the same time I cannot help but ignore the fact that knowing that their track record in recent years when it comes out it'll probably have some bollocks microtransactions and pre-order bonuses and the servers will probably conk out and they'll probably be full of bugs that will eventually get fixed but it's like it's impossible it's not being like mega cynical you just look at how they've been in the past few years and it's like yeah it's it's probably going to have a lot of problems at launch because they often do it is crazy the degree to which we want to be marketed to and that we that we want to get excited about things it's just finding that middle balance of allowing yourself to just get carried away with this excitement but also not so much that you end up then getting angry because I mean I, especially with the Nintendo response it was like what were you guys expecting like I, I kind of feel like a lot of Nintendo fans were really expecting them to go boo we got to a big Metroid game, a big Zelda game, they're all out this Christmas on the Wii U. It's like, the Wii U is, like, dead in the water. <laughs> I mean, I like it, but it's dead. And that's fine, because it means that, you know, you can still enjoy it, and you'll get loads of cheap games for it, and there'll be a period when shops are completely trying to get rid of all stock, and you'll be able to get the entire catalogue for pittance. Mm-hmm. And that, for gamers, is awesome. But It is funny how we'll be excited about a Steam sale, but we won't be excited about a console going out of business know, so right? we can get all the cheap games and for it's it. it's the same thing. I mean, that's I bought a Wii U this year, because it, well, the end of last year, because it's the right time to buy one. Because mm. it's, well, it will still get cheaper than it is now, but it's on its way out. And that's fine. It was like the Dreamcast. I, I held the Dreamcast lovingly while it fell into while a it died? What? what did you? Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I knew it was going, but I've got a Dreamcast and about four games for about 60 quid. At the time. Rest in peace. Tree. Oh, God, we've yeah. got to talk about... No, I don't know if we have to talk about Shenmue 3 or Shenmue 2. I mean, Shenmue, what the fuck? I don't even know why... Na, 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 na. I never finished Shenmue 2 because I knew that Shenmue 3 was never... I kind of... Part, <laughs> part of me knew 
that until Shenmue 3 was announced, there might not be any point getting any more invested in it? I had an article lined up for a site which wanted me to describe why Shenmue 3 was exci- was an exciting proposition. Uh, you know, I had it. I, the, the, How many years ago was this? Oh, no, this was yesterday. Like, All right. <laughs> so I had it, and then the commission fell through. Um, which is a bummer because I wanted to because I you know I, I got my end my brain started working so like, how do you describe why Shenmue is important? I think the thing I came up with is like Shenmue is so rare because it's the most beloved game and the people who love it are also the people that make fun of it. Like it's you know often you know yeah in Final Fantasy you know you you either love it and you're a diehard fan or you know you make fun of it because they are ridiculous games. Shenmue is like no the people who adore it and just believe in it and well, care the about the people journey. who know about the Zel- about the sailors <laughs> about the sailors. They're so, the people who know only know all the stupid jokes and carrying all the books out of the library. But like it was um. So people talk about, you know, in the 90s when people thought like FMV was the future and movies were the future. If games were like movies, then games would be better. You know, and there was that brief bubble of like, how cinematic can we make our games? Shenmue offers a similar, much smaller moment in time where the designers, the leads, creative leads, I guess, earnestly believed that the future of games were sagas whereby the player would have to suffer like the protagonist. And, you know, this is why Shenmue had... Jobs, you know, Shenmue's jobs weren't just a mini game; they were the part of this grand vision that, hey, if you want to embody Ryu on his journey towards manhood, you're going to have to lift a lot of boxes. Like, yeah. and which is why it had the. Uh, if people at home haven't played Shenmue and want to understand why it's kind of beloved and absurd all at once, any time that you kind of because it's a it's a kung fu growing up story, you know, it, for, put in every single trope that you. Uh, can think of it's got all of them so when you've got your wizened old master going you you must be like the wind and stand under this tree and catch a leaf with your fingers and then a mini game starts you have to catch a leaf with your fingers and you'll be sat there trying to catch a leaf in a mini game for ages for 15 20 minutes yeah you know it's it's uh, and then you know and that that's enough time for the player to go through the thing that the protagonist does which is you know frustration and then focus then frustration and finally you do it and you've learned something about yourself Maybe you've learned you're never playing this game again, but, you know. <laughs> I like the fact that, yeah, you do have to have menial jobs as well. Because when I was playing that, after the first time I was playing Shenmue, I was probably about... I must be about 16, 17. So I was just kind of at the point where menial jobs were becoming uh, very much a part of my reality. You know? <laughs> yeah, you, okay, worked, yeah. you had to go and work in a pot wash. You had to go and scrub pots. Or you had to go and, like, you know, deliver... Before that, when I was about 13, 14, I had to go and deliver hundreds of papers. And it's, it's really... Shit jobs, mm. um, but I like that. That was a part of the part of the story. Yeah, it wasn't like you know, just become a, a kung fu hero. It was like get a fucking job. Yeah, it's about growing <laughs> up. It's about there's a um, there's a. I remember it, the main job in Chenmu Two is you work at the docks and you have to pay your rent. <laughs> and there's no fucking, by the way, penalty for not paying your rent. But if you're the kind of player who wants to get a job and pay your rent on time, that's fine, and you do it. I'm just thinking, I just realised, Shenmue 3, for it to be kind of true to the roots, it should have carried on um, in time, the amount of time that's passed, because it was a, a game which time passed in, <laughs> in quite real time. Yeah. Time should have passed by the exact same amount of time that has passed since Shenmue 3. Imagine. So now, Ryu has a job in marketing. <laughs> well, that's why MGS4 should have been the last goddamn... That's why MGS was so good that he aged the protagonist. And actually, talking of almost unwelcome sequels, I am remarkably worried about the fact that Dark Souls 3 is coming out so soon. It's like, really, guys? I, I don't know. It feels like, especially because uh, Miyazaki, I think it's Miyazaki, who uh, said, oh, yeah, um, yeah, we started that before I became the director of the studio in a kind of way which is like suggests that deals were made with Namco to make a third... Dark Souls game and it was sort of out of their hands and he said oh yeah that, that was set up before I became the director of the studio things will change after that and you it's, kind of get the impression that 
it's going to be this sequel that, especially because Dark Souls Two felt like so I don't know va- faintly unloved in a way. Um, <laughs> I kind of worry that, especially because of the details that have slipped out about Dark Souls Three say, oh, it's got the Lord of Cinders is back and it'll have all the weapons of Dark Souls One and Dark Souls Two and seventy more. I kind of think, oh God, is this going to be a disaster? Is this just going to be like? <laughs> Like, a, a horrible mess. I don't know about that, and the answer, though, I think is probably. But yeah. it's a good example that uh, of what we were discussing, whereby, like, okay, so some games that are actually coming out probably soon. Probably. Some Bloodborne DLC, I guess. You yeah. know, Persona 5, uh, Final Fantasy XV, um, you know, like, uh, there is, like, MGS5, right? Mm-hmm. Games that we know we are going to get to play that are probably pretty good. Yeah, all of that was eschewed from E3 in favor of hypothetical pre-rendered shit that gets us excited because it could be anything. You can't be disappointed by something that you're not actually shown and exists only in your head. Yeah, because you know, watching the Dark Three, Dark, uh, the Dark Souls Three trailer, I imagined the Dark Souls Three. It was pretty good. It's better than anything they could have showed me. I mean, I spent the whole of that trailer because I saw it. Uh, it was at the Xbox conference. I spent the whole of my trailer just mumbling to myself, "Please don't be exclusive. Please don't be exclusive." Because <laughs> I, I just, if it is out and it is good, I'm not. I don't want to buy a console for one game. I hate exclusives. It's yeah. So dumb. But that's the point, I guess, isn't it? Um, but yeah, overall, I think it's been a really good year. I think lots of people are very unhappy, but those people are probably people who are just unhappy. I mean, I'd say like E3 is when you refer about good good years for E3, it's not like a it's not like a crop where you look at E3 and go, this was a good year's gaming. It's like yeah. E3 is it's more like it was a good year because E3 doesn't E3 isn't representative of the games industry. It's representative of how it might be changing. Yeah, and uh, and E3 this year showed a more kind of broad, uh, again indie focused E3 with. Uh, it's kind of like climate rather than weather. You know, it's like it doesn't tell you everything you need to know, but it gives you a sense of the bigger picture of where the industry's at and where it's going. And actually, last year I found E3 so dire and depressing and boring mm. that it took going to GDC and actually spending time with people actually who make games to revive my love and interest for the whole medium whereas this year it's kind of quite pleasing to sit and watch all the e3 and actually come away from it being like you know what like <laughs> this is actually pretty cool this things might be okay and yeah. it isn't just as you say it isn't just about the trailers it isn't just about the names of the games i think a lot of people who get annoyed are the people who are just looking for the megatons they're just looking for this three this two sequel to this Whereas actually, for me, I love seeing all this stuff. I love knowing that sequels to games I love are going to come out in the future. But at the same time, I like. I think my favourite moment of this year was um, the fact that the intro to the Nintendo presentation was all of the chief execs as Muppets. <laughs> yeah. I've watched that about four times now, and it just makes me tremendously happy. And I know lots of people go, yes, but it's not a new Zelda game. I'm like, no, it isn't. But it, you know what? I probably wouldn't have time to play a new Zelda game, and I've got time to watch this, and this makes me really happy. It's the weirdest thing. It's I like, do want a game about Reggie now, though. I really do. You I know, play that. the strange thing is the the lack of um, self-awareness. Because, like you were saying, so much of the marketing seems to be targeted at, like, 30-somethings, because I guess we were the last generation who... Had money. Up spending a lot of money. <laughs> and uh, well, I don't know. I think, I think as I said earlier, I think this is not a new thing. It's just this is the first time that we've noticed it. You're because okay. it's always, yeah. I mean, I, I think if you look back throughout history, this Star Wars was the classic thing that had to come back at exactly the right time when all the people who grew up with the original films, that when they first, I think this happens all the time. It's a thing that comes from the movie industry. Um, and it's a thing which games are starting to do now. And hasn't happened many times before because games are relatively you know, in their infancy. But I think it's something that's been borrowed from the film industry. You know, a friend of mine says, um, uh, who's sort of more, like, 
wise than me about culture in general. Um, he says it's not, this nostalgia culture thing isn't actually something that's always been around. Supposedly, um, the kind of inception of nostalgia as as we know it today, as this ridiculous force whereby you, you play something as a kid, then you grow old and you play it again, <laughs> uh, came around about the same time as the Matrix movies uh, was such a colossal car crash. Whereby the Matrix was a time when you could have this... this here's an idea. Let's spend loads of money on it. And it's amazing. And everyone was so... Both the consumers and the people who spent squadrillions on the sequels to the Matrix films that were then such a big flop led to like the entire entertainment industry playing it safe uh, and led to people realising and uh, you know that they can just market the same stuff yeah. again but that's why I think that like, when I look at these uh, a lot of the Microsoft presentation stuff and it's like another Gears of War game I think it's just because actually they're just playing nostalgia with a group of people who are about 10 years younger or maybe even less than that, maybe five years younger than we are. Maybe. Um, just because they were the kids where the, the first amazing games they were playing were like Gears of War. And they were like, oh my God, this game's amazing. Whereas for me, Gears of War came out when I was, the first Gears of War came out when I was at university. And I was too busy being a very cool man. <laughs> Not There's a little asterisk on that. There's a big asterisk on that. Uh, but no, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like the way I'm looking at it now is this nostalgia loop. Some of these things that we love will get another loop in about 20 years' time because they will become so popular again that the next generation of kids will them. And when we're, when we're 60, we'll be like, oh, they're bringing back Final Fantasy VII again. Um, but a lot of it won't. And so I feel like in many ways, this decade, this, this next five to 10 years will be the last time that we will be relevant um, and within popular culture and we'll know what's going on with popular culture. That's probably true. Which is true, because it means when we I mean, 40, after this, like, because, yeah, you know, 35, 40 is when, you know, you settle down, you start a family, you're no longer an entertainment consumer. No. In the same and so we'll be looking at E3 and being like, they're announcing, what, two? A sequel to what? What even is that? I've never <laughs> heard of that game. That game must suck. Where's my dinner? Where am I? So thanks very much for joining us on today's episode. <laughs> Do remember to tune in for episode 1,456. When we'll be discussing our irrelevance and yeah. uh, and why they don't make games that we understand. I'll be bitching about Crocky Docky 4. What is that game? What is Crocky Docky? It sounds rubbish. You bloody kids. Get out of here. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.